Hello, welcome to the eighth episode of the New Normal Podcast. I'm your producer, Andrea Richard, and this week we continue the conversation about Black Lives Matters, social justice, with a special guest, Michael O'Miller. Michael joined Florida Atlantic University as the Director of Development for the College of Engineering and Computer Science in January 2018, overseeing all philanthropic activities for the college. Michael began his career in higher education in 2004, serving as the Director of Development for the Division of Social Sciences at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Michael received his BA from the City University at New York and his master's from FAU. Currently, he's a doctoral student in the Educational Leadership Program at Florida Atlantic University. He talks to us about being pulled over by a police officer, staying calm when faced with discrimination, and what it's like shopping in a store as an African-American in today's society. Thank you for joining us as we continue to push along this thoughtful dialogue in hope to inspire social change for a better future and a better world of leadership. Hi, welcome. Thanks for joining us for our eighth episode. Oh. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Great to see Lenny once again. And Andre, it's certainly nice to meet you. So we'll definitely have uh, Lenny do a song at the end of the no. episode. No, oh, no, 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 no. That would be just... great. <laughs> Lenny, come on. Uh, no. Come on, Lenny. No. Please no. sing for us. If Michael will do a duet with me, then maybe. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Okay. Deal. So tell us, uh, you're over at the Florida Atlantic University over at the College of Engineering Computer Science. How are things going with the going online? Tell us a little bit about that experience of having to move all of the student body over line virtually overnight. Tell me if you yeah. can speak to that. Great. If not, we can move on to the next question. Yeah, no, I, I, I could speak a little bit to it. So I am the director of development at Florida Atlantic University in the College of Engineering and Computer Science. So theoretically, I don't have direct contact with the students. You know, it's more or less indirect. And so when we shifted from, from say, you know, uh, classroom onto online, I think what happened, leadership was, was sort of trying to figure out what is the best platform to use. And they agreed upon using something called WebEx. You know, it's similar to Zoom, but it's, but it's very user-friendly. And I think the students have adjusted pretty well to it. You know, and with that said, you know, being a student myself, I can tell you, there's definitely been some motivational challenges that sort of creeped up a little bit with online. <laughs> because I think a lot of students didn't, <laughs> didn't anticipate, you know, online coming the way it came. It's like gangbusters. <laughs> so the motivation factor. You yeah. Do you, is, is learning different since you're, you have the student point of view? Is it different to learn through the computer screen 
as it compared to being inside the classroom? You know what, I, I would say it is because it's like you're learning alone. And so the advantages of being in a classroom is that you get other students' perspective on, on a reading material. And so someone may, you know, you may both read one book, but you may have different points of view about the text. So, so, so having that that face-to-face, -face, you know, dialogue with another student is actually very good. So when you're alone and you're reading it, you're wondering, well, is your thought going the way that it's supposed to be? Are you seeing the full aspect of it? Make sense? Yep. So, yeah. So, so it's interesting because you know one of the topics we've been covering in in great detail is you know some of the challenges in our community as it as it relates to race relations and systemic mistreatment by our our if you will our institutions into the black community and part of the learning and I, I was telling Andrew before we got on today that I read this article that the expectation that students can learn remotely assumes that everybody has internet access. And certainly for our underserved and our unserved, you know, underserved is one thing and completely unserved communities, that expectation is a completely, you know, it's just a total fallacy that if you don't have internet access, right. how do you expect our, our students who, who, you know, who deserve the exact, so again, it's this, so you said alone, so now I'm thinking about equality. So the word equality comes up, right? So how do we, how do we equally treat all students if all students don't have the same resources available, right? So, and then we'll take that and transition into some of our deeper, because we like to go deep, all right? I, I forgot to mention that, we like to go deep here at Michael, so. So maybe start with that aspect. And no, then no, this, this is good. Yeah, well, let, let, let me touch up on that because it's very, very important what you, what, what you brought up here, okay? About, you know, when you look at Palm Beach County as a whole, you know, Palm Beach County is not just Boca Raton, which is what everyone thinks, okay? There are rural areas where people don't have water, you know, where people don't have internet, where people don't have, you know, electricity. So there, there's that part of, and, and most of that area is in a black community, a poor area, okay? So you talk about equality. Those are the areas that people really need to go in and look and see. You know, the other thing that's happening in light of COVID as well is that the isolation factor. So those people out in those areas are feeling completely isolated, okay? So you can imagine there's some mental health issues that, that's being tested there. You know, you, you know they're, they're then because they don't have access to internet or stuff like that, they don't know. Then there's that big fear. And, and, and I've been reading a lot of articles about this, especially in the poor community about this, what's it called? Internet 5 or whatever. The telephone companies are doing it right now. You know, 5G. Yeah, yeah, 5G or whatever. So people are afraid of that. They think it's some sort of governmental, you know, theory that's going to come in and, and destroy them. You know, <sighs> all this stuff going on, you know, and people yeah. don't know how to feel. So, right, right. Well, it's interesting. And, and so as we, you know, as we delve into the deepness of some of these challenges and issues, you know, maybe it's a good time to chat a little bit. One of the things I was most interested, besides getting to see your smiling face again and chat with you, Michael, is the work you're doing on your doctoral research. And I know you've got a couple of areas, but all of them are significant 
in this in this challenge we're facing, and you know to take that on as a doctoral uh, research, I think is you know I don't know when you started that, but I'm guessing from when you started it till now, it has become infinitely okay, okay. Uh, so it's current, but you didn't just think of it overnight, right? This 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 yeah, didn't happen. Yeah you know, in, in overnight, you're like, oh, that's a great idea. This is something you've grown up with. Yeah. I've grown up in New York, in the Queens. And so, you know, just, again, we're just, we ask a question and we, we really want you to share with us, Michael, so. Yeah. You know, I, I, get, I guess from my point of view, having what just happened to George Floyd was sort of like, that could have been me. You know, we're around about the, about the same age. I'm a little bit older. And, and so that, I, every time I watched it, I just think that could have been me. You know, I, I have children, you know, having to have those conversations with my, with my, I have two sons for that matter of fact, and having to have those conversations with them, you know, it, it's tough. And as I dive into my dissertation, I, I really wanted to look at the role that the church plays, because a lot of people are not aware of the number one group that, that are philanthropic is African-Americans, but they're philanthropic only to the church, okay? And, and, I'm not, and I shouldn't say that only to the church, but the church is a big part of their philanthropic. And so when I think about the church, the question that I come up with, how is the church helping the black male, which we know the majority of black males probably are incarcerated. You know, when you look at the numbers, the, the, the statistics are, are, are skewed, you know. So how are the churches helping, you know, these African-Americans male, you know, while they're in jail, before they even go to jail, when they're in jail, and when they get out of jail, okay? So it's a three-step process in terms of converting them, you know, into society, you know, try to give them uh, a path where they can be successful, put education in front of them. And so there's a lot of different things. And when I say education, I'm not speaking, I'm just not speaking from a church standpoint, because a lot of church will tend to do that. Well, just come to our church, come to our church. You know, you can be educated without a religious, spiritual background, you see? And so, and so I think that's where a lot of confusion comes with, with the black male because they don't understand. Mainly, you know, uh, their grandmothers have taught them about, you know, religion that says religion is good, that you're supposed to do this, you know. And so they don't know another avenue. And that other avenue may be education. So the, so, church, it, 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 so, so the church and the black community is really the center of the social, the center of religious, the cent, right? So, I mean, the gathering is not just, you know, run into mass and run out of mass, you know. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, that, and, and that's what I'm trying to say, is how can a church be instrumental in helping folks without folks coming into those doors, coming into the church doors? That's the key. So, so in that sense, are you, are you, have you experienced places where this has been successful? I've certainly seen uh, situations where uh, church-based programs have been very successful, but are they, you know, is it, is it not universal? So in other words, these programs are, are very much at the local level, I guess, right? Yeah. And, 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 and let me be honest, that it's a tough question. In terms of experience, I, I don't know whether I've seen that, but, but, but I know folks that have gone through that route and ended up, you know, going, taking the wrong path, you know, and then I go back and I talk to them. I said, well, what happened, you know, 
It, and usually what I, what I usually find is once the matriarch is gone from the family, you know, through death, it's usually grandmother, you know, and once that happens, it changes their perspective because they feel that they're viewed differently from, by the outside world. The outside world, you know, they look at black males and, and, and look, I'm a black male, so I've been, you know, accustomed to this. You know, I'm viewed as a criminal. You know, I can't walk into a store and say, let me just browse around and say, I want, I want to get something. Ultimately, then guess what happens to me? I have to buy something. <laughs> Even if I don't want to, I'm forced to buy something because, you know, all eyes are on me. Well, why did you come in this store? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so that is such a, wow. you know, yeah. And then I mentioned that you probably heard me say, I, I mentioned Denise about the book, uh, Black Like Me, right? So, you know, until you walk in another man's shoes. And so right. to even it's almost like goosebumpy because for you to even transfer that to, to me, right? So I walk into a store now that I've got this, you know, <laughs> my kids said, man beard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Actually, my I call kids it the said, mountain man style. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm one of the few people who ever got stopped at the border going into Canada just because my kids said, I look, they renamed me Osama bin Lenny because I looked like a terrorist. <laughs> But that's another story for another day. We're going to have to cut that part out. <laughs> good, anyway, good. Yeah. So, you know, so, so again, back to learning and, and the church in the middle of that. I just think of, of again, you know, that's still keeping the, the fixing the problem, if you will, of, of black men ending up in, in these situations in jail and in preposterous numbers. But it still doesn't address the systemic underlying racial undertones and now that are come out in the open so much and you read things that Jeff Sessions just said some stuff about when the beer summit, when, when, you know, when President Obama and, and, and the police officer and the guy who arrested the guy were invited for the beer summit and Sessions called him some criminal. Well, he's a doctor. I mean, yeah. you know, but <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, a black yeah, yeah. doctor, right? So, so you know, sorry, but you know, dri driving while black. Well, this guy, whatever. So this yeah. whole, yeah. you know, so this is the uncomfortable stuff, Michael. And this is where we like to really go deep yeah. on this, you know. And yeah. and 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 gosh, no matter who I talk to, you know, everyone's got a story. Everyone's been like you just said. You know, for me to hear it out of your mouth yeah. that you walk into a store and you got to buy something because you're otherwise suspicious. How do we? how do we get to the root of that? Back to, to Rob Robinson's thing, right? How do we get to the root of this systemic prejudice? Everybody has prejudice. Anybody says they don't have prejudice, they're wrong. So can, you know, maybe let's like, we're in your heart and in your soul, where's, you know, if you had a magic wand, how do we start fixing this problem, Michael? You know, a magic wand is probably <laughs> a great analogy. I mean, when you really and truly think about it, Lenny, it's how do you educate folks? And that's why being on this show is, is good and listening to you talk. This is, a, this is about learning. You know, this is about experiences and how we learn to grow from those experiences. So, and like you said, if, if you're walking in someone else's shoe, it's going to make you understand the things that they've gone through, okay? So, so give me a classic example. I, 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 when I, I had knee surgery recently and I got stopped by the cops and I was driving and it was on my right knee, but I had trouble. And so I, as I was driving, if you can imagine, I'll kind of show you, I was up high in a chair like this. So I looked 
really a lot bigger than I really am. And of course, the cops stopped me. And he stopped me, where am I going? And I said, knee surgery, I'm in a lot of pain. So, you know, so I, I just basically, I, I, I talked with him very nicely so that he could understand my situation and where I'm coming from, that I wasn't being hostile, you know? And, he, and then he proceeded to ask me questions. Well, where did you have the surgery? As if now I was lying. So I said, you know, I told him exactly where it was and I gave him, you know, and, but he was okay with that. And, and I find, you know, and I go back and play that conversation in my mind over and over and over. And I think what I've learned, and, and I've just learned this from my dad, if you speak to an officer, right, in a respectful way, first of all, you're, you're viewed as a criminal. But if you speak to them in a respectful way, they're going to get, they're going to get even more and more agitated, but you have to learn to remain calm. And so that's something that I have to do. Although I'm excited, calm, he's in charge. So he's going to do whatever he wants to do. You know, so you have, as a black male, you have to remain calm at all times. And that's what I've, that I've just come to learn that philosophy. And, and, and that's what I teach my sons. <laughs> just stay calm. Oh boy. Hey, let's I mean, say, how, how can somebody remain calm? Because it's probably easier said than done. Right. So what are some techniques that somebody can consider to help them remain calm? Right. Uh, you know, it, it, breathing. <laughs> I just <laughs> breathe a lot. Just, <sighs> because cause here, here you go. <laughs> you know, because number, number one, you're nervous as heck because you don't know what's going to happen to you. The minute you get stopped, you think, you know what? In the next four hours, I'm going to be in jail. I have to start remembering phone numbers now because I've got to remember phone numbers so that I can call. Because let's face it, who remembers phone numbers today? None of us do with these cell phones. So you got to start to think, who is the first person I'm going to call because I know I'm going to jail? Oh, right God. <laughs> I mean, that's the craziness of it. <laughs> well, it's beyond crazy. I mean, yeah. I mean, Andrew, have you ever been yeah. you know, pulled over by the police and started breathing heavy thinking you were in trouble? Not, not at the, in the way Michael has described. I have been pulled over in the 90s, late 90s for speeding on the turnpike. And I apologized to the police officer and told him that I was being dumb by speeding and he let me off. So, but I, I've never been questioned in a, a store while I was browsing, say in a clothing boutique and then followed around and I can't imagine what that would be like. And I would imagine that's very exhausting. So, yeah. right. So the point is, you never feared for your life. You never thought I'm going to jail. And so- I have again, not. No, I have not. Right. So, so well, that's a listen, daily occurrence for us. That is a daily occurrence. That, breaks, ahead, Danny, that, that breaks my heart to hear you say that. It does. It is heartbreaking and it's, and it's so frustrating. And so, you know, so the dialogue that we've, that we've so, you know, tried to become involved in, I'm frustrated because I'm, I'm a person of, okay, here's a problem. I want to fix it. And, right. you know, so the magic wand, the, you know, the, the getting to the root of the issue, you know, what I've come up with is, is it's, I think it's still just learning from these stories feeling what trying to trying to understand and feel what you're feeling and then becoming part of the voice. And so if I hear somebody make a comment that is 
that is completely out of line. And unfortunately, I hear them all the freaking time. And I've taken to no longer accepting that and being silent. And so right. I, I will, and, and Andrew asked a good question of, of Denise last week, which is you're at work, you know, what do you do? Do you, do you risk, you know, a situation at work by speaking up? And the answer is yes, you do because yeah. there's right and there's wrong. And, 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 and we wrong. as a nation must face the fact that we cannot change history, but we can change the future. And so, right. so, so, you know, everything that you tell us today is going to help us become part of the dialogue and help shape the future. So, you know, any other words of wisdom you want to share? You talked a little bit about growing yeah. up in New York, you know, yeah. what that experience was like. Just anything else you want to share, Michael? So the two words that, that comes to mind for me, you know, race is really grace and empathy. And, 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 you know, the majority of my friends are white. And I always tell them, you know, if you keep those two words in your mind and in your, in your heart and in your soul, then you will continue to see what it is that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And so, and so I may be frustrated. I may be feeling, you know, boxed in, you know, because, because really and truly we're in a box. African-American males are in a box. And, and the minute that we get out of that box, it, it's very hard for us. It's very, very hard for, you know, when you think about trying to be the head of your household, you know, trying to raise your children, trying to be a good father, you know, a good spouse, you know, all these, there's all these pressures on us, you know, and, 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 and I just hope that people will have the grace and empathy for me and understand that the same pressures they have, I also have those pressures. And I think that that will, will help people to really understand what, what we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And so how old are your boys? So I've got a 23-year-old who's in California, and then I've got a three-year-old. Okay. So going all over this again. <laughs> <laughs> and so the 23-year-old, you said you talked to him as he was growing up. You know, how's he doing through all of this COVID-19 and all the, you know, the, the, the things that are happening in the community? You know, scared. I mean, that's the one word he always he said, Dad, I'm scared. He said, I'm in all the time. He said, I'm in all the time. I said, yeah, that, that, that's sort of what you have to do, you know, because it's very dangerous. I mean, so he is concerned. He sees what's happening. And, he, and he's in L.A., so he gets it. He understands, you right. know, so... Tough stuff. It is. Wow. Yeah. Andrew, do you have any other questions for uh, Michael this morning? I do. Uh, you you said that about your the work you're doing and the, the colleges going online, and you were wondering about the learning implications for students, particularly minority students, as well as right. what philanthropy will look like in post-COVID era. We don't know when post-COVID will be, when right. this pandemic will end. But what, 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 what were you thinking when you posed that question? You know, as, as I think about it, right? When you think about a university, say like FAU for that matter. So we've got, we may have, you know, 30 buildings there, right? So let, let's realistically think if, if 25 of those buildings are empty without students, because students say, hey, you know what? I like this online format. This is the way I want to go. I'm not going to step foot back in a classroom. You know, that could be 
be problematic for universities in a sense. Okay, so this is something that we've got to start to think about. You know, especially, you know, I, I'm thinking a minority student who's not feeling welcomed anyway, they're like, hey, I could still get the same grades, I might as well stay home. And we all know, you know, even from, 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 the, from the K through 12, you know, there's funding that, 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 that's attached to a, a student physically being in a seat. Okay, but now that's not the case. Think about that funding that's dwindling. You know, so it's just, it's just very interesting from, from that perspective. And, and that's part of my research that I'm starting to kind of play around with and in my mind to see what does it look like? Because philanthropy for a while was actually pretty good, you know, through, through higher education. Well, what does that look like? Because, you know, right now, people are concerned about spending money right now. So I don't think philanthropy is as, is, is as fluent as it used to be. I think people are now more cautious. Sure. You know, so what, what is that going to look like a year from today? I don't know. And, I, and I'm curious to find out. I want to yeah. be in that conversation. Well, because, you know, we, 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 we sort of name this the, the new normal, but I, I keep nicknaming it the new abnormal, right? Because right. it just doesn't feel normal. And uh, so I put yeah. the A, B in front of normal. And, you know, it's, it's so hard to even think of something that's not affected by what we're going through right now. Right. Uh, you know, right. Who, who is exempt from, from COVID-19? Nobody. You know, so, so in, in <laughs> and that that's sense. The whole thing, Lenny, about conversation. <laughs> about this whole race. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, and, you know, we're, we all, we're all, we're all equal when it comes to COVID. So, so, so there's no coincidences in life, you know, big, big believer in, right. or, you know, big follower of the Celestine prophecy in that sense that, you know, it's all connected. And so, you know, you being on, on, on the podcast today and sharing is just another lesson for us and for our listeners. And, we, you know, we, we'd like to follow up with you as you continue working on finalizing what your thesis will be and kind of track along. And so that's an open invitation to come back and chat with us again. We would really appreciate that. Gosh, this is the first time we haven't talked about food. So what's been your favorite cook at home COVID <laughs> meal, Michael? Who's doing the cooking at the house? <laughs> well, 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 true confession. You yes. know, my wife is Latina. Okay. So, so I've, ga I've gained probably at least at least 11 pounds no, <laughs> no question about it no question <laughs> michael so did you know well. yeah michael did you know that the 19 in covid 19 I, I, is the average weight gain of an american that's what the 19 represents I, I heard i i heard the average was 19 so at least i'm not at the average that's <laughs> there you go so, the only so time you winning. want to be below average yeah. <laughs> you're, you're winning well oh, that's really that's really uh -huh. nice and i really want to do get back to this uh song that we were going to do oh no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> we're going to do that My, michael and i will rehearse before he comes back no, no, uh, no, just go ahead go ahead no 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 don't put us on the spot um anyway so we're, we're gonna wrap up i think andrew what do you think we're gonna, uh, you know, yeah, we're yeah. going to wrap up. Michael Miller, thank you so much for joining Lenny and I today. 
for the New Normal podcast, episode seven. And thank you to the eight. listeners. In this oh, eight? eight. Yeah. That's right. Now you corrected me last week. I get to correct you this week. <laughs> episode yeah. eight. We are a scrappy production with major potential. Thank yes. you to the audience for listening in. I'm your producer, Andrea Richard, and we're signing off. Michael, thank, thank you so much. I'll Peace. Thank you. All right.